Welcome to Truly Fit, the online fitness marketplace connecting pros and clients through unique fitness business software. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's podcast, we have Scott Schober. Scott Schober is a technologist, a family business owner, an author, a podcast host, an inventor, but most importantly, he is an expert on cybersecurity and an analyst on cybersecurity. Scott is the CEO of Berkeley Veritronic Systems, and he is here to talk with us about not only small businesses, but also personal steps that you can take to make sure that you are not a victim of a cybersecurity crime. Scott has been on CNN and Fox and Al Jazeera. Actually, routinely, he's on these channels talking about large-scale cybersecurity issues, but I really try to hone in, again, to the more personal and small business fitness-related cybersecurity issues. This is a great one. Okay, Scott, thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit podcast. Can you give me an introduction into what exactly it is that you do in cybersecurity and how you got into it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, basically, I'm running a, a wireless threat detection companies. We make wireless tools that keep DOD agencies safe, Fortune 500 companies safe from any type of wireless hack that, that cyber criminals might um, be propagating. And about 10 years plus ago, my company was basically targeted and hacked for $1,000 stolen from our checking account. And it really got me annoyed. So I learned a ton of things in the process. And I realized, geez, if, if a security company, a cybersecurity company can't keep safe, it may be challenging for everyone. And the things that I learned were a lot of common sense, best practice things that really apply across the broad spectrum of all small businesses, things that, that I've learned that I share with other people and I teach with speaking and writing my books and, and, and great shows like this and podcasts where I could share these, these things that I've appreciated so they can have a better cybersecurity posture and stance and fight back against cyber criminals. Although nothing's 100%, we all got to do what we can do to at least keep safe. I'm really intrigued to hear about those tips in the small business cybersecurity, especially uh, me running a small business and a lot of the listeners running these fitness small businesses. But first, what are the typical issues that you deal with in cybersecurity, uh, the day-to-days, and then maybe some of the more outlandish special cases? Talk about it all the time. And we hear about it all the time. We've kind of got some level of, of cyber complacency as passwords. That comes up again and again and again. And we always ask ourselves, geez, do we have it figured out yet? And I think we do know how to create long, strong passwords. Many people still are not, and are still using common words found in the dictionary, your pet's name, so on and so forth, which is a big no-no. But even more important to that point, we keep reusing. I just say we as the general community, small business owners, they reuse the same password across multiple websites. And that's a fundamental mistake because once you're compromised and the cyber criminals get your password, they have automated tools now that they can actually go into all the common websites and try your password till they can actually get in. So a really important point, don't reuse your password across multiple things. Have a unique password and of course a strong one for every single site. Now, the back end of that, what's important, nobody can remember all that. It's impossible. So you either got to write it all down diligently in a book, which, which I do, part of my passwords, but it's a secure book, secured in a safe, secured in a locked office, locked building with alarms, cameras, so on and so forth. So layers of security protect my passwords. And I also use password managers. A, a really good password manager I personally use is Dashlane. 
easy to use, affordable, and has a nice balance between security and convenience. And I think just if you address that level of password management and secure passwords, that will put you way ahead of the average small business owner. So that, that's really important just to get that to sink down and ask yourself, do I have a, a good password management plan? I and mean, it seems obvious, but most people are not doing it. And I think part of the reason why is kind of the psychology of things where people don't want to admit to themselves that there is a likelihood there is cybersecurity out there and that they could be the next victim. So they go, eh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll just enter the same password. No one's coming after me personally, but it is not worth losing your business. Like you talked about how you were, you know, they took $65,000 out of your, out of your business account. You, you don't know who's coming after you and it, it very well could not be personal. You could just be an easy target. Now I want to move to some other uh, small security measures a business can take. I know that, you know, VPNs and firewalls and fingerprint technology are some things that uh, I've been involved with, with fitness businesses. Are these the norm? Do you recommend them? And if so, are there particular companies or versions of these that you do and don't recommend? Yeah, and that's a really good point you bring up there. Uh, talking about VPNs, for example, what is important is that you do use a VPN and that you use one that you actually pay money toward. It kind of goes contrary to a lot of the things I say, where a lot of cybersecurity things you can do are free. VPNs that many people do use, they provide a layer of protection, but what, what do they give you in trade? When you get something for free, you give away something and they actually sell what your pattern is on the internet. So you're giving away your privacy because they're selling that to advertisers. So don't use a free VPN, regardless of what strings are attached to it and what in the world they promise you, because probably they're selling your information. Instead, you can find one very affordable. Some are $5 a month. Some it's a flat um, fee that you pay for the year. And then there's some that you pay once for life. So there's lots of really good ones out there, but the key is that they're properly encrypting the data and they're going to do a good job at keeping you safe and secure if, again, you're paying a little bit of something for it. So that's really the one caveat you got to look for when you're selecting a good VPN. That makes perfect sense. And, you know, there's, a, there's always cybersecurity issues going on in the news. And I know that the sexier topics are, you know, the Russians or the pipelines or the meat meatpacking plants and the ransomware and things of that nature. But uh, specific for this conversation, I want to get to the fitness news. And I know that President Biden tried to bring in a Peloton to the White House, and that was denied for cybersecurity measures. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. And it was very interesting. As I started doing research on the topic, learning more about it, and I did an interview on uh, Inside Edition on it. And um, you don't realize something like a Peloton bike, first of all, incredible product. It really gets somebody to get into the workout and why it's because they can actually have that internet of things, that connectivity where they can actually have somebody that can motivate you like a personal trainer and having those videos, the music and, and, and keeps you going. The problem is, is the trade-off when you have all that interactivity and you're plugged into the internet, you open up a potential for things. And what are some of those potentials? And what some of the researchers proved is they can take a standard Peloton bike that, that's plugged into the internet and they can push certain things into it to actually turn a microphone on. So without anybody realizing it, they could eavesdrop. So the, the worst case scenario, theoretically, is imagine President Biden has is, is got that in his area where he works out and somebody simply 
discreetly turns that on and starts listening to confidential classified information that's being discussed in, in earshot of, of the Peloton bike. And right away, then all the red flags go up and, and any tool, any tools, any equipment, any presence, anything that comes in for personal use or even business use into the White House, House has to be vetted and it will go through the Secret Service and other specialty groups where they'll actually rip it apart and search it to make, to make sure it doesn't have secret microphones in it and other, other types of things that could be used for eavesdropping or, or bad purposes. But in this case, it's really just off-the-shelf standard stuff that's slightly modified in a Peloton bike really through firmware. And, and it was really through the operating system that they could bypass and do these type of things. So unfortunately, it, it didn't make it into the White House. And similar things happened in the prior presidency. It was actually Michelle Obama that wanted a Peloton bike. In, and, and you basically have to turn it into what I call a dumb bike and strip all of the, of the bike just to bring it in there. And, and it's kind of rendered useless then. Yeah. And there's a lot of apps in the personal training industry and in the fitness industry that I wouldn't say are unregulated, but they're not looked at from a cybersecurity perspective, although mm -hmm. they, they have a lot of data. So I know you covered another issue, which was Strava, and most personal trainers are going to know what Strava is, but a lot of cyclists and runners use it to map their runs, and they kind of send that data out publicly. Hey, I ran around Central Park, and this is the time I did it in, and this is how many calories I exerted. But uh, having that data out there, and I think it is also associated with the heat map, could be dangerous. Yeah, yeah, especially if you if you think about a, a particular case, and, and again, I'm trying to extrapolate out and think like worst case scenarios, which is typically what I tend to do just to keep people safe. But uh, imagine you're in a park, a central park in New York or somewhere else, and perhaps you're you're a female runner and you're running at off times or this or that. It's getting dark. You might be more prone to being attacked or something else by a bad guy. And they could easily track your whereabouts and follow your pattern on a daily basis. And then they could grab you, rob you, do something else. And, and as, a, as a bigger topic or bigger picture, we have to back up from it and ask ourselves, if we're using apps like that, we have to balance kind of the risk versus the reward when we download it and, and just understand the implications when we are downloading this. We're giving away something. Typically, it's our privacy our geolocation, um, maybe stats about our workout in this particular case, a heat map and different things like that, that somebody could use to rob us, compromise our data, rob our house at the time. Who knows what the, the, the bad guys are trying to do? But those are some of the balances and checks we have to do. A, a stat that I learned and share oftentimes when I'm presenting about cybersecurity topics to a more general audience is, if you analyze, the average phone's got over 50 apps now, our smartphone that we've downloaded on it. If you analyze those 50 apps and read all the terms and conditions that we opt into and agree to, I download, I like Candy Crush. When I downloaded it, I'm thinking about playing yes, 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 accept, accept, accept. It would take the average smartphone user in the United States over three months to actually read and agree to those terms and conditions. It's absurd. Do you know anybody that actually spent three months of their life reading the terms and conditions to all the stuff they downloaded on their smartphone? Absolutely not. I don't know anybody. So what is that telling us? The legalese that's written in there and what we're opting into and agreeing to allowing these apps to share our personal data, geolocation, photos, anything we type into the browser, the actual URLs, they can take that and sell it. They have access to our contacts. They can take our contacts 
you know, people that we know, love and dearly trust, they can take their information and we're giving them carte blanche saying, this is okay. That's the problem there. During the COVID pandemic, a lot of us in the fitness and health industry had to shy away from big business because unfortunately they were shut down. They didn't have the money to be open and we had to go off on our own. And during that time, uh, those of us uh, who are naive to technologies had no choice. We didn't have a, a, a gym POS point of sale system. We had to use something like an individual PayPal, uh, individual Stripe, a Venmo, things of that nature. For those who are continuing to use those things, are there concerns? And if so, how do you avoid said concerns? Yeah, I, I think there are concerns. There, there were and there are now. And not as much with the specific payment method or paywalls such as PayPal, um, Vimeo, a lot of the others, they've gotten much safer. The area, though, that you need to be concerned with if you're setting up a, a remote POS, home office, this or that is, are you doing it through your Wi-Fi? And the answer is probably yes. Therefore, your home Wi-Fi needs to be as secure as maybe the Wi-Fi that you set up at your gym. Um, and if you did set it up securely or you had a third party come in to set it up, ask yourself, are you using the default credentials that set it up? Admin, password, one, two, three, so on and so forth. Hopefully you created a long, strong password there and a username. You're not broadcasting your SSID out to the world so they could all see this is John Smith's gym or whatever. Um, and also that you're using good encryption. WPA2 or WPA3 encryption is really strong really hard to break. Has it been broken? Yeah, sure. But it's only by advanced cyber criminals that are going to spend the time for a targeted attack where they're trying to take a lot. But for the average home user, make sure you have the basic encryption set up on your home Wi-Fi network. If you're not comfortable enabling it or configuring it, get help from a buddy that knows IT or somebody that knows a little bit more about Wi-Fi and security, just so you can make sure your home office is secure. That's great information. And uh, just to go back to something you said earlier, uh, when harping on the terms of condition, I know that would, you know, sometimes that gives me pause when I'm signing up for something yeah. through a company's website. Is there any other, are there any other telltale signs about uh, a website or a company that you would be concerned with or you would pass along for us to be concerned with that uh, are slightly alarming that you may want to stay away from? Well, I, unfortunately, I try to generalize here, but uh, brands that you never heard of, new to the market, use extreme caution. Hey, if you're going to use PayPal, if you're using Amazon, using Apple Pay, Google Pay, those are names and brands that have billions of dollars behind it, and they've got good security measures in place. And if they are compromised or breached or your information is breached, you've got a company that stands behind it that can back you and help you uncover the mess. If these are new startup companies with low fees, um, the claim to be simple to use, yet you never heard of them, shy away and, and just use a lot more caution there. What your equipment is that you're using, be it your smartphone, your tablet, your laptop, your desktop, your running current operating system, that you're enabling the current security patches and upgrading your applications on a regular basis. If you wash your car once a month, make sure you're upgrading your computer, your smartphone, everything else once a month, and at the same time, backing up that data and disconnecting it from your device. Disconnect it from your laptop, your computer network, whatever you have, and take that, put it on a USB stick if you have to. They're cheap. They're easy to, to dump the entire hard drive on a huge uh, USB stick. It could be a terabyte. 
put it into a safe and lock it up. That way, if and when you become a victim of something like a strain of malware, which we, we hear about in the headlines now with, with Colonial Pipeline and the meatpacking plant, and the list goes on and on and on, it can happen to us personally, especially small businesses when they target different sectors. That way you could revert to your backup, wipe your system clean, restore everything, you're back in business instead of trying to deal with an insurance company or trying to deal with cyber criminals and learn about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and negotiating it. It's a disaster. It's probably not going to end well because, again, you're dealing with criminals who are not that honest. You've given a lot of great tips so far. And, and someone like myself, I have a, I worked in IT actually for three years, kind of a low-level IT position at a hedge fund. And I, I've had a Commodore 64 in my room when I was growing up, right? So I've always been on computers. So I can take your tips and institute them into what I do. But for the average trainer who's, you know, noses to the grind and they're in the gym all day long and they're, they're not that technologically savvy, they might want to outsource the cybersecurity. When do you think it's a good idea to outsource the cybersecurity and how do you go about that? Yeah, actually, it's not bad. People shouldn't feel ashamed about outsourcing uh, to, to get IT help, to get some help in there from a cybersecurity standpoint and get some basic good recommendations. Could they do the research on their own? Absolutely. Can they read books and watch videos, attend seminars, virtual or live and learn a lot? Yes, they can. But at the same time, bringing in an outside third party that has expertise specific to your business or your computer network may be money well spent. And, and a lot of times, too, if you're a small business and you're considering cybersecurity insurance, that's a nice mixture there. And what I recommend there is Bring a company in that will actually provide you training and help you configure and make sure that your entire organization is cyber secure strong and they will help you implement some of these best practices. Why do they do that? Because they don't want to have a claim that they have to fill if you're a victim of ransomware. So they're going to actually help you build cybersecurity to do that. So if, you, if you're looking at it, ask the cyber uh, for cybersecurity insurance, ask them. What kind of help can you give me? Do you bring a third party in that will educate me, help configure my network, help me make sure I have a really strong cybersecurity stance? If they say yes and they go down that list, you got a good company that you're working with. And I think that's really fundamentally important, especially if you're a small business. You don't have to spend a lot of money to do this. Big organizations, they've got millions of dollars to spend, the JP Morgans of the world and others, and they do spend it in the right area, but they have teams that know where to do that. Small business owners, you don't. It may be you, it may be one, one guy that knows IT a little bit. So get that outside help from the insurance company or somebody in the world of IT. Bring them in. It'll be, it'll be worth it in the long run. That makes perfect sense to me. And, and even if, like you said, Scott, you bring people in on a one-time payment to say, hey, can you set everything up and then teach exactly. me how to handle this? And then I will reach back out if and when I believe there's a problem or I need to take the next steps. I think it's well worth saving potentially your entire business and just the headache from having to deal with a cyber attack and all those next steps that would come with it. Yeah, definitely. So that was very specific to the small businesses and small businesses involving fitness. But I want to get a little selfish here. And I want you to answer some things that I'm intrigued about. So we're going to give you a rapid fire. I'm going to say a phrase or a word, and then you can give me 30 seconds on how you believe cybersecurity plays into this topic. First one is artificial intelligence. Uh, I, I think artificial intelligence is being used, unfortunately, by cyber criminals 
as well as by cybersecurity professionals, but it's being used to quickly identify these advanced threats. So you could immediately be alerted if somebody's trying to get into your network and artificial intelligence can identify it, flag it and sandbox those threats before it gets past the firewall and into your computers causing havoc and damage. Very effective. Cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is a unbelievable technology. I love it. Uh, I, I, I can't say enough good things about it, but the downside is too many bad guys are using it and it's closely tied in with ransomware for, as far as a payment method with Bitcoin. And unfortunately, it's the common accepted currency that's used throughout the dark web, mostly for a lot of illegal activity. So I think as it becomes more regulated, the SEC gets in there and, and certainly federal regulations where they're trying to collect taxes. I think the cryptocurrency market is going to probably shrink a little bit before it can actually grow and become wider spread acceptance as far as, far as a, a, a means to, to buy and sell things. Baby monitors. Hey, I had one. I used to be able to listen into my neighbors when they had their baby. They're not secure. It's using what's called ISM, industrial scientific medical bands, which are basically open and free. It's not licensed spectrum, easy to hack, easy to jam, easy to eavesdrop. Probably want to just avoid those. You're probably better off um, using something like a wise cam or something like that, that's low cost, $30, set it up and use the Wi-Fi and encryption in place. And you get even better experience recording alerts, everything you could do. Huawei phones. Uh, unfortunately, Huawei has been branded kind of taboo in the United States and now other countries. So I would run from that. Huawei owns about 60 to 65% of the infrastructure build for building out the 5G network. Now there are countries such as United Kingdom that are spending billions of dollars removing all of this going to shrink and shrink and shrink because that opens up the pipe for eavesdropping, collecting our content and actually data mining and monitoring our, our whereabouts. So I would avoid Huawei in every certain way that you can. Last one here, and feel free to plead the fifth if you believe um, there's no way to not get sort of uh, semi-political here, but do you believe the government should get involved in what are considered private ransomware attacks? Uh, I stay totally neutral when it comes to politics, but that being said, it's going to require the government, public and private sectors working together, sharing information to thwart and combat ransomware attacks. Perfect example is the Colonial Pipeline recently. Um, when they discovered that they were compromised, they quickly reached out to the US DOJ and they reached out to FBI and law enforcement and they shared information. The sharing of that information quickly led them to access to the blockchain and hunted down where the payment started and ended in the world of cryptocurrency, that case Bitcoin, and it allowed them to actually guess what? Stop it and get back the money. And they, even though Bitcoin plummeted at the time, they got back the majority of the money that was actually paid out in a ransom. So there's one case of success that you could point to when a private company shared information, worked together, and it was a winning case. Good example to look forward to and business use case for all of us. If we're victims of a cyber crime, we should report it and work closely with the authorities. The sharing of the information is paramount. Scott, let the listeners know where they can find your podcast, get your books, 
and any other information concerning you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly my podcast, What Keeps You Up at Night, is a weekly series that I put out and I share with, talk to business leaders, cybersecurity researchers and influencers. And that's out on YouTube. You can just search What Keeps You Up at Night and type in Scott Schober Cyber in there and you'll see it pop up and you can subscribe to that if you want on my YouTube channel. You can also go to my website. It's simply scottschober.com. And I do have on there tips and things that you could download, video and how-to things that you could, you could pick up. And then if you want to buy any of my books, easiest is certainly Amazon. Hacked Again is my first book. Cybersecurity is everybody's business, really targeting small business owners. And then my third book just released is called Seniors Empower Them to Use Technology, the Internet, Smartphones, Not Feel Intimidated or, or Being Beat by Scammers. And also those that are caregivers supporting their, the elderly, they could find tips to help their older parents or grandparents or those that they're helping. And I will list all those links connected to the podcast release here. Scott, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate the interview. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform. And feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.